Hello, this is Katherine Cunningham. Thank you for joining us for the Natural Intelligence Worldwide Podcast. In partnership with Natural Intelligence Media, Eurovision, and the World Economic Forum, we produced a series of interviews offering depth and focus on the global challenges of our time. How to avert a global climate crisis, how to promote sustainable human development and global peace, how to create a new deal with nature, and how to advance innovative technology for good that serves humanity and the natural world. In exclusive interviews, world leaders in business, government, and civil society share their insights on the state of the planet, on measures taken to address these global challenges, and on future vision of a world committed to peace, justice, and prosperity for all. Today, we hear from Sheila Warren, the project head for blockchain and distributed ledger technology at the World Economic Forum. She tells us about new ways blockchain technology can be used in the future for wealth creation, especially in the developing world, and of course, the local distribution of clean energy, as well the potential evolution of banking with blockchain technology. I'm sitting here with blockchain expert Sheila Warren, who's the head of blockchain and distributed ledger technologies. Sheila, welcome. Thank you, Catherine. Thanks for having me. Um, well, let's just jump right in. I know uh, the dialogue very often is centralized around uh, technology, but I think what we're more interested in talking about today is really blockchain for humanity. How can we use these blockchain technologies to impact economic opportunities for especially emerging economies, how they can utilize the technology to advance their social enterprises and really develop sustainably. Can you speak on that? Absolutely. And this is part of what got me so interested in this technology in the first place, is seeing the opportunities in emerging or high-growth economies that didn't really have the burden of legacy systems. So these are countries that perhaps didn't quite catch on to the digital revolution, didn't quite invest in a huge technical infrastructure in sort of the past decade or so. And we're seeing a lot of the innovation happening in these spaces. Mm. So all over the continent of Africa, we're seeing Cambodia, parts of Southeast Asia, ASEAN, uh, the Caribbean islands, lots of experimentation with this technology in exciting ways. And ways that we really are hopeful will uh, provide enhanced inclusion and opportunities for citizens of those nations and therefore the global economy. You know, my first exposure to digital money being sent from one place to the next was actually in Kenya. Someone, yeah. uh, a local person, showed me that he was sending money to M-Pesa, his... M-Pesa, yeah. Right, the M-Pesa, exactly. exactly. And so, you know, to your point on leapfrogging technology, the benefit for these emerging economies mm-hmm. is that they have this new technology, which they can then utilize to jump into a global marketplace. Exactly. So let's expand on that a bit then. Let's talk about new opportunities for new alliances, entry of players in the emerging markets, especially since you have now sort of the technology securing the exchange, creating transparency, ensuring that with these encrypted ledgers that the transfer did happen, the exchange. So can you speak on how we might see new economic opportunities evolve in new markets. Yeah, absolutely. There's a number of different ways I think we are going to see this happen, and the question becomes one of time frame. Mm -hmm. I think we're in the adolescence of this technology. It's still quite the early days, but I'm very bullish on the idea that new economic models that reduce wealth inequality, enhance wealth equality, and precipitate and facilitate inclusion are going to be something that we see more of in the future. At least that's the hope that I have for this technology. And so examples of that. 
Um, I think a great one is actually remittances. So Mm -hmm. I think something people don't really know is that remittances comprise over $600 billion of the global economy annually. $600 billion billion of the global economy annually. Let's just think on this. (laughs) And a remittance, for people who may not be familiar with the concept, is when a resident or citizen of one country sends money abroad, usually back home to their family, you know, this kind Mm -hmm. of thing. And there are several countries where the remittance receivable is actually a huge portion of their GDP. From the U.S. alone, something like $60 billion a year flows from U.S. residents abroad. And it's actually quite costly and challenging to move money like this. There's a huge fee attached to this That's exchange, right. right? That's right. Well, in some cases, I mean, it's, it's almost shockingly antiquated. People are just delivering cash to individuals who then fly back to the country and are tasked with distributing it mm-hmm. essentially to the relatives of these initial providers of the funds. It's trust networks. It's a right? trust network. Yep. And so interestingly now, now we're creating a technology which can expand exactly. that trust network. Exactly right. And so it's not that that trust network is failing anyone necessarily, mm-hmm. right? It's not to say that there's a criticism of that process, but there is a way to do it much more efficiently. And I think the most important point is more safely. Because mm-hmm. if you're the individual tasked with transferring these giant sums of money, money on occasion, right? Right. Because you're not taking it from one family, you're aggregating, this is kind of your job. It's very dangerous to do that. So we can provide this sort of enhanced safety and security Security. using this technology as an example, and do it cheaper and in many cases faster than the flight it would take to get you from point A to point B. Well, especially if it's instantaneous. I mean, you can think of the value exchange of a product. I mean, it can move from one to the next in a microsecond. And so... This is what we're hoping to achieve with latency and scalability, which is, I think, the major technical development Mm -hmm. that the best technical minds in the blockchain space are focused on this year. You know, is this a threat or an opportunity to the global banking system? Um, I was just at the the DLD before this, and um, Wang Fang, she's the deputy general manager of the Bank of China, and she was very bullish Mm -hmm. on, to use your word bullish, (laughs) on... um, blockchain and cryptocurrencies and digital wallets. And she said, you know, we're far advanced in China. We welcome this disruption because we're constantly innovating. So, you know, that was interesting for me. And so the incumbents, the central banks, are they really coming on board this new technology and seeing the opportunity for themselves? So I definitely think so. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think that most countries and most central banks are paying close attention to this technology. We're actually running a project with central banks We have over 30 signed on right now from varying sizes of economies, totally global, every continent across the world. Brilliant. Antarctica, but you know. And what we're seeing is that there's a huge appetite to learn, to grow, to innovate, and to share experiences. Mm -hmm. And I think the question becomes, you know, which of these countries is going to be the first to issue a central bank digital currency or CBDC? We think in the next 18 months, there's going to be tremendous movement in this direction. And that being, yeah, do we think that Bitcoin's going to replace a national currency? Probably not, for very good reasons. But the principles of a Bitcoin system are very fascinating and interesting to central banks because of the enhanced transparency that it would provide to the financial system. And -hmm. I think commercial banks are actually quite paying a lot of attention to this as well for similar reasons. Didn't we have something like an international currency with the American Express traveler's checks? Yeah, but it's this kind of concept, right? Right. And so so there's this whole um, movement right now, a big discussion around something called stablecoin. And a stablecoin is a cryptocurrency that is pegged. So it could be pegged Mm -hmm. to fiat currency or it could be pegged to 
uh, gold or some sort of other standard. standard. Right? But it, what it does is reduce the volatility, which is part of the problem cryptocurrencies and part of the reason I think that you haven't seen an explosion in usage is just the sheer price volatility of Bitcoin or Ethereum or either, you know, these kinds of currencies. You know, I do think that's going to settle out, of mm -hmm. course, like over time. It's not surprising that we have this volatility, but, you know, fiat is not as volatile. And so if you can take the characteristics of a cryptocurrency that are appealing and you can move them to something that's more stable, then maybe it's the perfect win. And a lot of people do think that. Do you think that you might lose the decentralization sort of nature, value, ethic of the, the Bitcoin? <laughs> that's the interesting question. You know, I think Bitcoin's core use case and the reason why I'm, you know, I'm personally convinced that Bitcoin will never go away, despite mm -hmm. like there being a lot of controversy about that. I'm a Bitcoin optimist or pragmatist, let's say, um, is because the core use case is censorship resistant currency. But not everyone needs that. Like a lot of people are perfectly fine relying on the U.S. dollar, right? I don't think this is something we uh, or I as an American think about in my day-to-day -day transactions. In many countries, that's not the case. So where you do have this fundamental lack of trust in your banking system, something that is going to be an alternative, but that's going to be very attractive. You know, we met at the Global Climate Action Summit yes. uh, in San Francisco where you were launching your report, Blockchain for the Earth. Mm -hmm. And I was sitting right in front of Bright Eyes because I was so excited to hear someone speak on other opportunities outside of value exchange of money and looking at blockchain. You know, if you think about it, it's just it's a peer-to-peer -peer direct exchange of value. So there are lots of things that we value and there are lots of things that we can exchange. Can you elaborate on how blockchain can be used as a technology for the earth? The important thing to remember about a blockchain is that it's not that uh, you're trading cash or currency necessarily. That's one use case. What you're doing is establishing a record, a transaction record, an exchange of value. And value could be all kinds of things. It could be carbon credits. It could be energy. And we're seeing a lot of investigation in the utility space around this, whether it's water rights, even air rights, you know, things like this, land titling, like all these things that I think encourage people to think in a different way about the earth. And to some extent, to extract a financial value from the transaction that could motivate or incentivize them to care more about the planet in a way that is very somewhat selfishly motivated, but at the same time would create an incentive system that would enable people to basically extract value from acting in positive ways. So when you think about a peer-to-peer -peer energy grid, for example, Great. You think I was about, just going to go to this. Yeah, can and you, you think about the opportunities. If you removed that centralized platform, you can mm -hmm. an easier example for people sometimes is to think about a car sharing service. So right now, the platform player in the middle, whatever you're using, is basically taking this rent extraction. Mm -hmm. like you're paying them a fee to connect you with the driver, right? So similarly, your utility company or whatever is actually extracting rent from you from the excess energy that you're able to give mm -hmm. off and give someone else. If you could do that directly with another consumer. Imagine. Imagine. Right? Mm -hmm. Imagine what that would incentivize you to do, right? If it wasn't like 80% of it vanishes. So I think right. there's this opportunity for us with some of these resources that are becoming increasingly scarce in our world to think about this new way of providing credits that creates this incentive for good behavior. Well, and I actually, I met a couple in Germany on my way here. There were early investors in the solar energy technology in, in Germany. 
and they installed solar panels on their roofs and now they're retired and they earn an income from the excess energy that they produce from their home, which is great. And so imagine if they could expand that network through a distributed ledger uh, and use this technology to exponentially build this uh, energy network of citizens supporting energy for one another. We, we've got Tesla. I mean, this is what Tesla's dream was, was to gain or help humanity gain this access locally to energy all around the world. We would be providing it to each yeah. other. It's a brilliant vision. And I also, I love the idea of this as a retirement plan. I mean, imagine right. if like your <laughs> retirement plan was to maintain your solar panels on your shed right. or whatever, you know. It's just a right. really phenomenal, again, incentivization, I think, mm-hmm. is, is what we've been missing a little bit in the environmental space. And this is an opportunity to really do that in a way that is transparent and where the record is very clear. Well, to clear record, let's also expand on the land rights, because I think Mm -hmm. this has a huge impact on especially indigenous cultures where it's not clear who owns the rights to different lands. I know that there's a drone technology and a GPS company, I think it's called One Planet, that is working together with the WWF International Mm -hmm. to map territories of indigenous peoples that are in dispute. And imagine if you could then lock that knowledge or that information into a blockchain. And so if there was any transfer of value intergenerationally, it would be clear that this land belongs to X, Y, or Z. Could you talk a bit about Yeah, I think that's a great example. And I think another great example similarly is disaster-prone areas. So oh, when you've right. got places where typhoons come through and wipe out you know, right. land records, you know, so we talked to an organization that went in and did a mapping exercise post Haiyan and basically mm-hmm. went in and helped the neighborhood decide. And the neighbors all kind of came together and had consensus, achieved consensus about where a land boundary ended and this neighbor's property ended and this one's began and all that kind of thing. And they've been able to map that to a blockchain because the sad reality is if you're in these parts of the world, it's a matter of time, really, before it's a ticking time bomb before the next disaster comes. So if you could secure those records, you know, Mm -hmm. um, not that you couldn't take a paper base and sort of fly it out of the country kind of thing. But if you could do that on a blockchain, we do think it would facilitate reconstruction in a way Mm -hmm. that would be really beneficial to people there. And just having the security emotionally Mm -hmm. to know that you're homeland, like the place that you laid your head, you know, your family like grew up, all that would be secure. Mm-hmm. And there would be like achieved consensus and an immutable record of that, I think would provide a lot of comfort, which is obviously critical in times of disaster. Back to the theme of this particular annual meeting, reshaping the new mm-hmm. global architecture for the fourth industrial revolution. It came up that it's really important to think about not just restructuring, reformatting sort of an old model or old system, but to uh, reimagine the way yes, exactly. that we develop our, our systems mm-hmm. to support this new technology, the universe of technologies, blockchain being one of them. Can you speak to this importance of reimagining now our financial systems? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm the first to admit I'm a bit biased here, but I do think that blockchain technology is going to be fundamental to this, or it could be. And I think that's in part because of its decentralized nature and the opportunity it provides for new actors to collaborate in new ways. And it's not so much just taking the old models of our banking system as an example, since you asked about that specifically, or our financial system, you know, which really is about extraction of value. And let's just kind of look at what happens here. And the wealth flows to particular parts of the world, to particular players. And there's a lot of people who are left out of that 
wealth creation. But what blockchain technology can provide is new systems of everything from micropayments, microcredit accounting, uh, providing financial remuneration for things that we take completely for granted. So, example, digital rights management with music and, and um, musicians. So if you sample something, there's a way to take a stream of payments from that. And every time that's used, you could get a fraction of a penny, for example, which adds up fast. Or an article. You write an article. Every time it's cited, you get a fraction of a penny. And there are companies looking at this, startups looking at this. But you can imagine how that shifts the power dynamic. And so it's not just refashioning the existing models and saying, okay, maybe we like... I don't know, we reinvest in certain kinds of things and we require that by law or whatever it is. It's really imagining that you're able to put power in different places and allocate that. And when you really imagine the possibilities there, if we really pay attention and we really focus on inclusion and creating an ethical framework for this technology, it's tremendously exciting. That's great. Well, one one company to look at or went bank to look at is the Bank of Lumi. They've just mm-hmm. launched, um, oh, you probably know about it, yeah. this digital app called Pepper. Yep. And in speaking with the CEO of this bank, she said to me that, um, you know, we what we decided to do was just redevelop, just reimagine what a banking system or a banking universe of opportunities and services would look like yes. to millennials and create an experience. Yep. And what's needed? What is actually going to resonate with their experience? Right. right. And what do they perceive as both their immediate short-term and long-term needs? So this morning, I know that uh, in one of the sessions, we're discussing the wealth transfer to the millennial generation. Right. $30 trillion. $30 trillion. (laughs) So not a group to uh, discount in this discussion. (laughs) Facts. That's true. Facts. It's true. From (laughs) Forbes, I think, right? Yeah. This is definitely not a group to discount. (laughs) That's true. In framing, right, this new architecture for the future. Mm -hmm. So I'm just thrilled that we have in the uh, World Economic Forum communities, global shapers. I don't know how many global shaper communities are there around the world. There are hubs 60, 70 hubs around the world. There are thousands of these shapers that have been... It's a very um, large community. It's a very large community. Very global. And they're very active, and they are quite the influencers in their their universe. And so um, I think if if that discussion is to be had with that millennial generation, that will then garner that $30 trillion of value (laughs) in the future. It's to be had here. So let's look forward to that. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks, Sheila. My great pleasure. Thanks so much, Catherine. Bye. Thank you for joining us every Wednesday and Friday morning at 9 a.m. GMT. You can find us at naturalintelligence.com and subscribe to our podcast. Thank you.